Welcome to the Truth Lover webinar and podcast, Empowering Enlightened Humanity. This is a presentation by Love and Truth Party. Uh, my name is Will Pye. I'm a teacher, author, transformational coach, uh, founder of Love and Truth Party. Love and Truth Party is uh, self-organizing, self-replicating, community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating and celebrating the true nature of the human being. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this place as new earth ninjas. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act, to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. We have a website, loveandtruthparty.org, loveandtruthparty.org. On there you will find our love letters. One of our projects is to distribute one million love letters to the world to facilitate moments of connection and to ask people to pass it on, to pay it forward and create this, uh, as I mentioned, this self-organizing, self-replicating ecosystem of love and awakening. And it's a great joy and pleasure to have uh, my co-host Cheyenne with me today. Uh, Cheyenne is a homemaking badass, snack maker extraordinaire, tooth fairy cook, maid, tutor, counselor, driver, gold star hugger, goddess workshop facilitator, I'm excited to see those coming into the world, and writer. She is currently finishing her first masterpiece, a children's book titled Ruby, the banjo-picking, blue-footed booby. I kid you not, that is the title of this extraordinary <laughs> book. It's great to be with you, Cheyenne, and I understand you're going to introduce our esteemed guest today, Tim Freak. Yes, and Will forgot to mention he's the plant whisperer, too. That's right. I, right. Do, I do talk to plants and animals. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, Tim Freak is a pioneering philosopher and teacher of awakening. He is the author of 35 books translated into more than 15 languages. And in his latest books, Deep Awake and Soul Story, he offers a new approach to spirituality and a visionary new understanding of the nature of the cosmos. And he also plays a mean game of PlayStation FIFA football, has some beautiful acoustic guitar skills, and makes a kick-ass breakfast omelet. Tim Freak, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. What an introduction. Wonderful to have you here, Tim. Wonderful to be here. So we have a topic to guide us, and it's closely related with this extraordinary book. I really enjoyed hearing you chat in uh, California recently of your 30 to 35 books. Uh, you've written so many, it's kind of almost lost count by the sounds of it. And you said that this latest book, Soul Story, is one of your favorite, perhaps the best that you've written yet. And a central theme of it is emergent spirituality. And it feels really exciting to explore this with you because this is very much on the leading edge of consciousness, of culture perhaps. So I'm interested to hear from you. What is emergent spirituality? What does that mean for you? The essential idea which is underlying this is that we can bring the perennial insights of spirituality together with the amazing insights of modern science 
by understanding the simple principle that everything that has form has evolved. Everything has come into existence through a process of evolution, or to use this word which is very popular in science at the moment, emergence. The word emergence just means that through this process been going on for 13.8 billion years, there has been a constant emergence of novelty. So, you know, at the beginning there was hydrogen and then that's evolved into everything. I mean, there's, there's a wonderful line I love by um, the author and, and evolutionary thinker, Brian Swin, who uh, I'm a big fan of. And the way he puts it, which is lovely, is, oh, what we've discovered is if you take hydrogen and leave it for long enough, it learns how to sing opera. And that's what we've seen. I mean, it's an incredible... <laughs> I mean, what a vision of reality that wow. is. That's what yeah. we've seen. You take hydrogen, leave it long enough, and it, it, it starts doing philosophy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what that, what that journey has been, in, in, you know, that no one would dispute, no evolutionary thinker would dispute, is that that's been a journey from simple matter, like hydrogen, through to this experience you and I are having of psyche, of ideas, of a realm not made of matter actually which everyone experiences and the the word psyche is the greek word for soul so we use the traditional spiritual word we'd say it's gone from matter to soul from that experience of something very simple into this non-material um dimension Uh, and and how we see that development is crucial to whether we end up abandoning uh, spirituality as something which is woo-woo and can never meet with this incredible development of modern science, or actually whether we can shift the perspective in science and shift the perspective in spirituality and bring the two together and create one beautiful, inspiring vision of what this process of 13.8 years of evolution really is. Yeah, that integration of these apparent contradictory aspects of culture is something I'm really passionate about and the recognition of the immateriality the the partiality of materialism as a perspective seems to be really really important there's such a, a sensorial bias that we're living in a physical world and yet we know from science that it's not physical it's 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 full of space it's full of 99.9999% space and uh, Using the, hearing the word psyche, it reminded me of a, an essay I wrote at school, and I used this word psyche, and the history teacher said, I'm not familiar with this word. And I remember thinking, well, you know, look it up. But, um, but it, it speaks to a resistance in uh, a certain mindset in our culture to talk of the psyche, talk of the soul. There's a, a sense that it's um, woo-woo, as you say. And, and yet this integration that we're talking about, uh, you know, if we look to Schrodinger, uh, to Bohm, to Heisenberg, to Einstein, to pretty much every great scientist of the 21st century, they probably would not have any problem or difficulty with this integration. What, why do you think we find ourselves contemporarily with such resistance in scientific community to spirituality or to meaning or to purpose? Well, well, that's a really good question. I mean, materialism is dead. I, I think, you know, it, 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 philosophically, it died 100 years ago. But what has replaced it is a kind of objectivism. So it may not be matter, but it's something objective. It's, mm-hmm. it's still an objective reality. 
And you're right. I mean, in my previous books I've written at length about all those scientific figures you talked about saying, look, you know, these guys were, were, were sort of mystics, really, Gnostics, um, nearly all of them. Uh, however, um, for me, they, it's not enough. What they're even saying is not enough because what they will go with is a very uh, non-dual spirituality. It's what they're being influenced by also. Of course, they're, they are receiving an input from the East, which is coming in as well as the development of quantum physics and all these new relativity. And, and they're at the vortex where that's just beginning to meet and we've inherited all of that. So it's quite easy, I think, to bring together uh, a form of spirituality which does actually abandon the soul, which just goes, look, it's all one or it's all one consciousness with the asset. It's not that far off from it's all just matter because it's a mm -hmm. reduction of mm -hmm. its complexity to something very simple. What I love about emergence is it's the opposite of reductionism. Reductionism says if you want to understand something complex, you understand it by going to something which is simpler than it, or more basic than it, or primitive. Emergence says that's impossible because the new thing is greater than what has gone before and must be understood on its own terms. So the presence of life cannot be reduced to just chemicals. If you took the chemicals that make up my body and put them in a pile, you'd have a real trouble having a conversation with them. But put them in this and it creates life, oh my God, there's a whole different thing. Because biology is more emergent than, than phys physicality. It's a new level. And, and to me, it seems that soul or imagination or mind or whatever word you give for the fact, I want to get this clear. I'm not talking theology, theology here. I'm not going, there's a soul, it's like this. You know, I'm going, look, everyone's experiencing right now, everybody, a non-material realm. And you can call it imagination, mind, psyche, soul, whatever word you give it, I don't care. But you know you're experiencing it. And we are passing ideas between us in that realm. All, all the meaning of these funny sounds that I'm making exists in psyche or imagination. It doesn't exist in the material world. It's not made of matter. So the question becomes, if this 13.8 billion years of evolution from hydrogen to psyche, what is psyche? Now, what, what objectivism does, and you're right to say this, is what it does is it goes, the psyche is just a byproduct of, of the brain. And that is a dominant uh, view right now. That's all it is. Uh, and one which I think it's hard, you know, what my feeling is that's, that there's much more to be said than that. Uh, but we need, we desperately need a restatement of esoteric philosophy, which can take into account what's been found out for the last 2000 years, because most forms of esoteric philosophy were created by people who thought the world was flat. That, you know, it's very old thinking and it needs a major update, but it still contains deep truths. One of which, very importantly, it seems to me, is around death. Completely central to nearly all forms of spirituality is the huge claim that the soul doesn't, is immortal. It does not die. And it seems to me that we can easily bring, um, well, not easily, but it's possible to bring science and spirituality together on science's terms by abandoning the idea of the soul and abandoning the idea of immortality. That, that's happening all over. Oh, it's all one. Yeah, we can all agree on that. It's all one energy. Yeah, so it is. Call that energy consciousness, if you like. Who cares? You know, it's very, very kind of, it, that reform of monist reductionism is very easy. 
but come in and say something grand like there is something your soul that survives death and that's like well that's crazy now my feeling is it's not crazy uh, so I, I want to be able to understand in a rational way why that's not crazy and one of the things I think I can do which at least frames the question properly is that when I'm asking does the soul survive death what I'm really saying is hey Will you know that experience we're having of a non-material realm right now when this experience we're having of being a body in the world, world of the senses, when that stops, does that world of imagination carry on? And my view is that it does. And I think the testimonies of near-death experiences, for instance, and all through the centuries, points to a, a, the, the fact that soul, as spirituality has always claimed, is its own dimension. It has its own reality. The question then becomes, where does that come from? And the, this is where I, I want to, to move spirituality on, because the, the idea of spirituality is very much, look, that realm of soul, the place you go when you die, the place you visit when you take ayahuasca, or when you meditate, or when you go adventuring, when you make shamanic journeys, all that stuff which people like me have spent their lives doing. That realm pre-exists the cosmos, and we've fallen from it. So we need to get home. This is a big mistake. There's been a huge mess up. We need to get back to this pristine place where it's all okay. And, and, and my revision of that is to go, look, how about if everything has evolved? Which means that that realm of soul, where we survive death, that realm of soul, all of those things I've said, where we have meaning, has actually evolved. So that the process has gone from the evolution of the physical universe to the evolution of the huge variety of, of biology, of life forms, to the evolution of soul as a dimension, which is actually what we're experiencing, and a dimension in which life and death is no longer an issue. Life and death arise only in the biological sphere. They don't exist before, they don't exist after. And, and that we can start to understand all of the things that spirituality is concerned with, immortality, magic, meaning, story, uh, the the journey of the soul, all of the things which mark out our lives as evolving with the dimension of soul. I have a question. Sure. Um, I love the book, by the way. And how, I mean, you spoke a little bit in the book about magic, but how would you define magic? Okay, so um, this is where we go to right at the end of the book. And, and it, to me, it's, a, it's, the book is so, it's quite short, actually, because it's like, it's like, bang, 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 bang. So I want to get across a vision, each one which you can really unpack a lot. So by magic, what I mean really is the way in which my life and everyone I know, actually, uh, their lives have this quality, Carl Jung called the term synchronicity, that it's really that our lives are stories. And those stories involve much more than chance. So that we have constantly, you know, when I met my wife, it felt like it was, it was magic. I mean, literally magical things happening. I could go into the huge synchronicities. We all got those stories. I just spent some time with some new friends telling stories and nearly all of them were about, wow, that's incredible, really? And that, and that, so our lives are stories. So one of the things which really intrigues me is the idea that we could say that what's happened over 13.8 billion years is that hydrogen has evolved into story and that what we are on the soul level 
is stories, is a narrative, which is why the first thing we do with each other when we meet each other is go, how's the story? And oh, this is happening for me. Oh, really? What's happening for you? Oh, it's really bad. Oh, it's really good. Because we're stories, because the nature of soul is narrative. And when you start seeing that, it's a bit like saying, well, my wife, God bless her, when she said, what does he do? He said, uh, she mentioned the PS4. Um, and uh, that's my son's, which he's now grown and gone studying at Oxford. And uh, so I just thought, well, I can use that without him. I don't have to be a, you know, I don't have to have a kid here to justify playing on the PS4. What would happen if I do? Now, but so let's take that as an example. So the PS4 is there. It's got a physical base to it. And then there's all of the, the, the software. And then there's the story, the thing you're actually engaged with, like a film, same, same metaphor. And it feels like there's the physical world, there's the biological world, which is supporting it. But what it's supporting for us is story, actually. And, and that the, we, we need to stop seeing story as something which is where we tell this story about what reality is and understand that story is actually the most emergent level of reality. It, 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 it is a real thing. In fact, it's where reality has reached to. It's all been aiming to this place which fascinates us as human beings, which is the unfolding of the narrative, which is often uh, includes being a magical experience full of things which feel like destiny or meant to be or magic or or the way you can bring things about sometimes all those kind of strange phenomena not anomalies actually but mm -hmm. central to the experience of what it is to be alive and this all recasts consciousness or or mind or psyche or soul not as a, a byproduct an epiphenomenon of of brain activity but rather as something more uh, profound as something rather more extraordinary something more mysterious and that i like the honoring of the narrative functioning or the meaning making capacity we can look at that as a, a as an emergent aspect of that emergent aspect you know if consciousness was the ground of all this and this capacity we have in this moment to make meaning of this entire unfolding of consciousness i mean what an extraordinary um, miracle what an extraordinary opportunity to tell a new story to explore what it is to actually be human and it seems that there's something about an emergent spirituality which is a bit more uh, helpful a bit more supportive of, of a happy human being of a productive human being uh, of a healthy human being than some of the more reductive approaches so it seems to be eminently practical yeah, really. Uh, well, there's a whole load of stuff in there, Will, which would be great to touch on. I mean, purpose, for one thing, the book's called The Meaning of Life. Uh, the, sorry, the, the, the Purpose of Life is one of the, the subtitles of the book. And so we should get into that because that's hugely important, what we, that we have a sense of what the purpose of existence might be and that we can answer that. The biggest thing, you know, for me, most of my work, is, is, as you personally know, is about waking up. It's about awakening to this love and oneness that you started off this, this thing with. So why have I gone into philosophy? Well, I'm a philosopher, one reason, but also because it feels like we need a new worldview and it needs to be intellectually robust, but it needs to challenge the old ones. So the challenge to science is, hey, evolution didn't end with biology and then this funny side effect. It actually created another whole emergent level, which is soul which is a, it's a dimension made of images and we are, you're experiencing it right now. 
So images arose with sensuality, with the experience of biology and sensuality. And then once you've had the image of looking at the car, you now have, you could, sorry, once you have the experience of the sensation, you can now have the image. And so you're, you've created a world of images. And, and you can see that, 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 you know, when you dream, you go off into that world. And when you listen to people's near-death experiences, you can see it's like a collective dream. Now, I also, I, want, I mentioned one challenge to spirituality, which was to get rid of the idea of the fall. We haven't fallen from soul. Actually, soul's emerging. It's much more optimistic. Most spirituality is quite pessimistic. We've fallen from somewhere better. We have to get back. That's, that's, the, that's the overall message. This is an illusion. This is something we're trapped in. The soul is, it's been a mistake somewhere. The, the evolutionary emergent view is much more optimistic. It was, no, we're reaching always towards the more emergent. And, and it starts with the very simple. It reaches the deeper. And the deepest we're heading towards is, is these deep levels of soul. But I want to challenge the idea that we can understand this as all existing in consciousness. Now, I've written myself lots of books saying, look, this is like a dream. Reality we're in is like a dream. And, I, and it is. But I think that reality being like a dream is actually emerged. I, I think it's, it, it, you can see that consciousness has emerged. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an evolution of ever more con complex objectivity from hydrogen to my body. And there's an evolution of ever more complex subjectivity that goes alongside that. So you can see a very primitive subjectivity in hydrogen, where it's literally just feeling, just aware of this chemical, electrochemical environment. That's its subjectivity. That's it. But that subjectivity will become the subjectivity of the plant, feeling like, oh, there's the, the sun. <laughs> and it will become the subjectivity of animals going, I can see, I'm here and it will become the subjectivity of you and I. Now, at some point, we can use the word consciousness, but it doesn't make much sense to me put that on the ground. Because it, not until we reach consciousness does this dream reality, which transcends and includes the rest for us, does that, this dream reality emerge, and suddenly you get the birth of, of meaning and narrative and all the things that come with, with psyche, with soul, with, with, this, with, this, other, with this other dimension. And, and then the other thing maybe which is helpful, I mean, so much, I don't want to go off too long with each thought, but it, it is to get across the idea that what's evolving here, when I talk about objectively things evolving, is best understood now as information. When we said materialism's dead, partly it's because physics is, has eventually, like you said, it's not here. What's here is information, which we experience like this. A, a solid, but something else would experience it differently a slug or a bat or a plant. This is how we, so what, what, what the universe is made of objectively is information, it's information subjectively perceived. So once you get that, you can see that there's information on a physical level, which then becomes information on a biological level, which then becomes information on, on a soul level. So when we're looking at the relationship between the body and the soul, we're looking at information on different levels. And then the issue is not, are they linked? Because clearly they are right there. It's that, are they also um, separate? Are they also indivisible? And there's a huge fashion at the moment to hate duality. 
because like duality bad, unity good, duality. So the mind-body duality, oh, that was Descartes and all those old philosophers. The problem is if you lose the mind-soul duality, which everyone experiences, no one, everyone is experiencing that duality right now. If you can't tell the difference between your ideas and your sensations, you're in trouble. So everyone's experiencing those, that duality as a reality. But we, it's fashionable not to want it. But if you lose it, you lose immortality of the soul. Because if the, if the body and the soul are the same thing, we know where the body's going. So the soon, if you lose that fundamental sense of a difference, so then it becomes how can you understand that difference? And the, the thought I want to just leave this with is if you go look objectively you're talking about information on different levels then you can use like a very simple analogy like information right now on my computer and the same information on the cloud for instance one thing which is local and particular that's like my body one thing which is non-local have a look your soul's not local is it? it doesn't exist in space you can't find it in space it's on another level same information but this can continue when this is not there that's the point and those sort of analogies we've got, informational analogies, can help us shape how this, how we can understand soul not as a, as a rising from biology, but no longer dependent on it. And I think this invites or offers, a, a, for me, funnily enough, a, a more true non-duality, a more true yeah. oneness that actually includes the experience of separation, but recognizes that the phenomenological experience on a level of information that's clearly um, relevant, clearly um, central to this unfolding. To me, you're exactly right. I mean, I coined this phrase years ago of being paralogical, with the <laughs> idea of paradox. It's basically the yin yang. Look, the one appears as two constantly, and they're two and one at the same time. So, so body and soul, are one and they're two at the same time. And it's important that they're also two because that allows us to grasp how this, this experience we're having of imagination continues, how, this, how we can enter the shared dream uh, when the body dies. And explore love. I mean, that's one of the key consequences of the apparent separation is we get to relate and we get to play with each other and we get to experience this, this wonderful, wonderful reality called love. And uh, that can be, of course, not just with our intimate partners, but with the world as a whole. So it seems that one of the emergent properties of consciousness, of the, of the, of the psyche, is to, to know itself or to recognize itself, to see itself uh, everywhere, to actually recognize that that underlying essence is inherent in all this form as well. A very important idea for me, uh, which is where the book's going really, is to try and, is to deal with the experience which is my life has been dominated by a spiritual awakening. One of the things which, this philosophy allows me to do is actually understand what that is because i have this experience so many of us do waking up to this fundamental formless oneness behind everything and it, and experience of that as that is love this holding what you said this huge universal love so what what is that and one of the ways that that i think we can understand that with this evolutionary philosophy is to go well where does this all come from 
well, you can't, I don't think we can say much, actually, because we're just making it up. Um, but one thing we can surely say is wherever the universe has come from, it's the potential for the universe. Mm-hmm. So you have this idea, which is, again, there in the ancient texts in a different way. And in quantum mechanics, with the notion of the potentiality. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly right. So you can say, okay, there's a thing, let's call it spirit, essence, being, whatever word you want to give it to. It's potentiality. A primal potentiality is is realizing itself through a process of evolutionary emergence. And it's doing it on ever deeper and deeper levels. So that there is, so spirit, if you will, is realizing itself as the universe in this emergent journey through to you and I having this conversation. And that's that's what it's doing objectively. Subjectively, you can say the same thing, that spirit is experiencing itself as the universe. So it's the subjectivity of the atom, which I talked about earlier, very simple subjectivity. It's the subjectivity of the plant, very simple, more emergent. The subjectivity of beginnings of sensation. And then, the subjectivity of the world and images, so that the experiencer of this stream of time, the stream of experiences, which I'm having, is actually the one, the one, the formless oneness from which everything is arising, and it's present right now. It's experiencing itself with Tim and as you, both of you. And so what happens, so the latest thing, it seems to me, in this evolutionary process is actually spiritual awakening. That's where mm-hmm. it's really going. So that we, when, when we place attention back on itself, when we, when we actually look beyond not just sensation, which is amazing, and imagination, which is phenomenal, but actually turn it back on itself and go, well, what's watching this? At that moment, the formless oneness becomes conscious of itself. And there's this, oh, I am everything. I am the being of everything. But I'm the being of everything appearing as Tim. And you're the being of everyone appearing as both of you. And that is the awakening. And with that oneness, there's this love, because love is how oneness feels. It's that sense of connection and communion. And when it's universal, it's what I call big love. It's with everything and everyone. And I can't imagine a more profound, meaningful purpose than this notion that uh, the divine or spirit or the essence of all things would uh, play hide and seek with itself, would individuate in order that it could know itself through this experience of subjectivity, which is immediately recognizable to everyone. The mind may be so noisy that perhaps it's, it's, it's seemingly not, but if we really stop and pause for a moment, this awareness of awareness, this, this awareness of being, uh, is, is, is so simple and so ever-present that its potential for you know, cultural, societal shifts, if this was the stated purpose it makes me think of that john lennon quote when he was asked what the purpose of life is and he said to be happy and she said you that's um you misunderstood the question the teacher said and he said no you misunderstood the answer that if that were the 
Uh, hopefully I've, I haven't misquoted John there. Um, <laughs> although it's a story he told about what he said to a teacher at school, so who knows how accurate that is. But what if we told our children that your purpose in being, our purpose in being, is to realize what we are, to know what we are, to evolve as consciousness, as conscious beings, to live consciously a story of our life. Like if not, not, you know, not to make money, not to avoid being a sinner, not to, uh, but actually something rather more exquisite. That seems to be a story that would, um, a, a purpose and a stated meaning that would change everything if that became uh, something of a dominant narrative. When I, when I started work on this book, the first, I think the first title I gave the book actually, which got rejected, was just to call it The Meaning of Life. And one of the reasons that um, uh, that didn't work was because that sounds ridiculous. No one knows the meaning of life. People who ask the question, if only you have to be an idiot. It's like, that's, that's not serious. That's, that's a Monty Python film. It's just, yes. so how do we get to that? How do we get to the point where to ask the most important question you can possibly imagine is just ridiculous? And only, only there's something which no, no serious thinker would even contemplate bothering with. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's crazy. So what I like about this philosophy of emergent spirituality is it comes right back and goes, look, no, no, no. Let's use the word purpose because that's kind of cleaner meaning perhaps. But does life have a purpose? Well, look, from what we've been saying so far, it's not that the universe has a purpose. It's that its purpose is inherent in its nature. Because its nature, what it is, is the realization of potentiality. It's happening now. This moment had never happened before. This is a new moment. Oh, and this one is a new moment. Oh, and this one again. Every single moment, it's realizing a unique new potentiality. And it's been doing that for 13.8 billion years. And every time it does it, it becomes more complex, it becomes richer, and it evolves. Doesn't mean it's linear, of course. Evolution is far, far from linear. And human evolution especially, and our personal evolution also. But there is a tendency inevitably towards the emergence of deeper and deeper potentials. When I couldn't speak, there was no potential for me to have this conversation. Before I written this book, there was no potential for me to have this conversation. Because I've done those things, this is now possible. And this new possibility, this wonderful conversation with, with you can happen. So therefore we can say, look, the whole universe, the purpose of the universe is to realize deeper and deeper and more emergent potentials. Well, we are the universe. We're the cutting edge of the universe. In this area anyway, where, as far as we know. So what are we, what's our purpose? Well, to, to, to realize deeper and deeper and more emergent potentials. And, and, and I think if, we, if you begin to wake up, you really get that. Well, one of the things which we can all do, which is a common thing, is we can wake up to our deeper essence. When we do that, there's this profound oneness and this incredible love. Then from that, we can go, okay, so what is, what is the unique potentials that Tim can realize on this particular story? Because the universe has evolved from hydrogen to stories. So now it's stories. So what's the most emergent story that Tim can become? Well, is it, you know, keep my head down, worry about money, do all that, you know? Well, ideally, you get that sort of practical stuff sorted enough to allow you to live a creative story and to take, you know, to play with risk and to, to engage. And that story isn't going to just be about being happy, actually, John. 
<laughs> Much as we'd all like it to be as simple as, you know, it sounds good. You just, oh, just be happy. The Dalai Lama tries the same thing. It doesn't really work, I don't think. It's much more than that. Because part of the evolutionary journey is actually hard. It involves suffering. It involves challenge. It involves, you know, things you, I know, have faced. You know, that it's not, it is much richer than that. But through it, one hell of a story emerges and we bring the deeper things into life. Because you know, this thing didn't start with love. It started with hydrogen. It's ending with love. That's where it's arrived at. This is new. That's why there's not much of it in the world. We have to bring it in. Yeah, there's a, something just to, to draw out of that I want to give attention to is the, is the uniqueness. So this is often lost in the realization of oneness or in non-dual teachings or in enlightenment teachings. But the reality is undeniable that every single awakening, every single enlightenment is expressed a little differently. It's experienced a little differently. So there's this wonderful way that the impersonal presence that is all things, uh, somehow through this wonderful trick, experiences itself in a different way and has a different uh, fingerprint, a different coding, a different shape of itself in, in Cheyenne, in Tim, in Will, in every single human being. And there's such power in that realization that every single individual has a unique and essential role to play in the unfolding of the universe. Not from a place of narcissistic ego. Right. It's like, wow, that brings up the awe. The reason I've done all of this, and, and it's a follow-on from my previous work, really, is that I've reached the point where I'm just sick to death with hearing spiritual people that devalue life and specifically individuality. Mm -hmm. 13.8 years to develop individuality, to develop thinking, the mind, the imagination, everything we've got. And the idea that that's some god-awful mistake, and if we could just get back to formlessness, <laughs> it's like, what? And realize we didn't really exist. And, you know, it's like, oh, really, if you don't want to exist, just go into a corner and don't exist, but leave the rest of us to live. Actually, engage with this, and you know, and, and hearing you know, Eckhart and all those other people. Oh, your story! Get out of your story. It's like I love people's stories. Sure, you can get stuck in it. You can get stuck in anything. You can get you know anything. You can turn anything into a problem. The mind can be an awful problem. Of course, it can. But it's beautiful, actually. And stories. You know, we. The, you know, the, the, I love hearing. You know, like. I want to hear your story. And you, it's just, you know, I hear people's stories. It makes me cry. It makes me laugh. It makes me inspire. Just everything, doesn't it? You know, we, why do we like movies? Why do we, it, these, are, these are not irrelevant. They're not traps mm -hmm. into which consciousness has fallen. They're things which, which, which reality has emerged as, which we just need to not stop. We just need to go further. We need to take them on, not get stuck on this on a lesser level, but but reach to express deeper stories, richer stories, individually, collectively. And to realize that, I mean, the reason that the, the death thing is that people say to me of, oh, well, I'm happy, you know, I'll cease to exist and that's fine. And you know what, I've had a lovely life. And, you know, there's part of me that feels like, yeah, I'd be fine too. But there's a so much, you know, but I'm not fine when it's a two-year-old kid with AIDS. I'm not fine because it feels like, okay, so the universe is a pretty arbitrary, cruel, unpleasant place there actually and i'm i'm pretty uncomfortable about that and the reason i'm uncomfortable about it is when i enter this deep state of awakening there's a sense that no no this is okay there's a profound goodness to reality here 
profound, wonderful, kind of naive in a way. And it feels like the most real thing I know. Mm -hmm. So how can that be true? And that's why, you know, the, the individuality and the fact that that, that that death is not the end is a is a very important aspect of of, of of understanding the benign nature of existence that once it's once reality once it would matter that something would be lost with death death was no longer an issue that's my feeling it's like that's the that's the benign nature of the universe is it cannot help but move into that um place where once it's evolved into something which needs to continue once the individuality here's what i'm trying to say i'm trying to say this sorry i've been a bit long-winded with this thought look here's the point i want to make the individuality is what it's all about it's not the mistake it's exactly the point hydrogen atoms two of them together can you tell the difference not really you and me yeah on our bodies yeah a bit but you know hey we're both bald you know we've both got eyes we've both got ears noses but on our souls and our psyche, we've got different histories, we've got different experiences, we've got different, we're unique and we're doing unique things. That, it, and that level of individuation is what it's all been for. And that's why, that's why death is a, a hindrance to evolution, because that needs to continue. Bodies, yeah, that's a biological level. The best thing for bio, biology is death. Because if you keep killing bodies off, you will develop better species. It worked really well. But once you reach soul, that's not true. Now you need a new evolutionary mechanism. So the whole Darwinian thing, that's not the evolutionary mechanism. That didn't exist before Dar Before there was biology, there was no natural selection. There was no genes. There was no... The evolutionary method was different. With biology, you get Darwin's natural selection or something like that soul and the immortality of the soul i think you get something like the transmigration idea or reincarnation you get this idea of soul existing in imagination and then re coming into a symbiotic relationship with the body and then back into imagination and a symbiotic relationship with the body and that so that actually these ancient esoteric teachings are still valid we just need to understand them in a new way and this seems to be one of the most exciting things we can be involved in the planet right now is to be consciously selecting, refining, exploring a new story for humanity. The uh, just a story idea is, of course, itself just a story. So it kind of uh, defeats itself in its own saying. And we can see how our fundamental uh, views of what this world is informs, in a very literal way, how reality unfolds. And so the recognition that this is a benign place, that there is actually somehow amidst the madness and the chaos and the uh, inexplicable sufferings and intensities and two-year-olds with AIDS and so on, there is actually a deeper truth of all is wellness, of the presence of love, of a, of a loving intelligence that's essential to this unfolding, not as a theology, but as a realization, as a knowing uh, and, and then that story, that communicated. I mean, this is, for me, such a uh, such a such, such a better story than you know we're all sinners or um, we're just some accident of biology. So it seems again just to point us back to this capacity for emergent spirituality to 
bring service to human culture, to human society as we, uh, as we wake up to our very interesting position upon the planet right now. I, I, I agree completely. And, and part, of, part of where I ended up with this new philosophy was wanting to revisit also this idea of God, of, tra- of what I ended up calling transcendent spirit. The word God is a difficult word, I know, for some people, and rightly so. Because a lot of these old esoteric ideas have fallen into disrepute, and quite rightly. So we've talked a lot about soul and the idea of the soul, there being an immortal soul, and that falling into disrepute and seeming like something illogical or woo-woo, and yet actually I, I've been suggesting not at all. We can understand it's completely as an evolutionary reality. Um, and in the same way, I think we, we can look at this whole nature of God in the same way. So my, so my experience which you just touched on there, really, since I was a little boy, is, oh, my God, there's, there, oh my God, there's, this, there's this greater being of love and goodness which I wake up into, which is there, and is and this huge benign quality to it, this, this, just this safety, and it's just beautiful. But the, the, the idea of God has become, you know, for myself as well, it became like, well, it doesn't really stack up, does it? Because most people want to put God at the beginning of time. God is the creator. Even if you do it in a kind of slightly kind of modern, non-dualist sort of way, and God is the great consciousness, benign, loving consciousness, who dreams the dream of the universe. It's like, however you do it, God's at the beginning. Well, frankly, if God's at the beginning, he's a monster, <laughs> or it's a monster, or she's a monster, because... The, the, the journey of life is monstrous. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't care if it's just one two-year-old dying painfully of AIDS. It's like, that's one piece too much. There's, you know, it's very, you cannot reconcile that journey that the 13.8 billion years, and, and he's nuts too, because, you know, we've had five extinction, mass extinctions, including 120 million years of dinosaurs. So the God at the beginning of time is mean, uh, dis- indecisive, and uh, crazy. So rightfully, you know, my feeling is an old Gnostic thought, I guess, is like, well, screw you. I'm not interested, you know, like I'm not, this is a mad guy. However, my, sorry, I'm just playing, but the, if you put God not at the beginning of time, but you say, God's not where it's coming from, God is where, is where it's going. God is where it's going because the, the most emergent things come last, not first. It starts with potentiality. Where well, it's going is the realization of that potentiality in the deepest possible way. I, I would offer a paralogical thought, which would be that it, it is both that there is somehow a, a, a mad, insane God, or, or that God is the potentiality, and then is the emergence as well. I, you know, to really sort of have that infinite loop playing itself out. And my feeling is, look, look, you know, what the only thing we can justifiably. You know, this, well, we can, there's more actually we could say about that. But like I said earlier, you know, the one thing we can say is it's, it's come from potentiality. And we can also say that it's been realizing potentiality on deeper and deeper levels. And we can say that that has led to new things. Matter was a new thing. <laughs> water happened for, once for the first time. And hydrogen and oxygen came together in, for the first time. Water. Life happened for the first time. Sentience happened for the first time. Soul or psyche happened for the first time. And also, Awakening. So spirit conscious of itself through the soul happened for the first time. And then again and again and again and again. And just as 
what started off as individual single cells came into to a community of cells and formed my body. My, my question, my intuition is, I feel that when we wake up, when, when a soul wakes up to its fundamental oneness with all being, we enter a communion of souls. And that communion of souls, like the communion of cells make my body, that communion of souls is creating this transcendent spirit. From primal spirit, potentially formless potentiality, to transcendent spirit, which is marked by what? Unity consciousness. What does that feel like? Love. It is literally the emergence of a being of love. And the reason that the world is not all perfect is because it's the being of love is not rubbing the show. Being of love is arising from a bit like look, you, you know, you're arising from biology. You know, you're this other thing. You can't. You're not running it. A bit. You can influence a bit, but only a bit. And in the same way that this being of love is arising from the cosmos, it's the fruit of the whole evolutionary journey. But it's not running a show. It, but it's having a effect. And when we tune into it, when we take our will and give it to the being of love we play a role in actually creating God. We are creating that community. That's, that's one of the great places that we can make. Well, this is the essential uh, pointing to of Love and Truth Party, is that in our individual awakening into that communion of souls, we're contributing in a very real, uh, material, uh, informational way to to the emergence of something more than what has been. And so this inner personal work, in fact, is um, not personal and not inner uh, only, <laughs> but rather is a contribution to, to the whole as well. Shane, I want to ensure you've uh, had the opportunity to uh, share any comments or ask all the questions or at least one or two more of the questions that you want. Uh, you guys had a beautiful fucking flow. I didn't want to interrupt that shit. <laughs> the foul mouth fairy godmother is. Uh, <laughs> I do have present. an. I do have an observation of in the book you talked about love light, um, which you kind of addressed a little bit with going into that light, or some people have that experience with near death experiences, um, and I like what you point to with. Um, that not being like the goal, like not trying to attain that space. For me personally, the experiences that I've had with it, it feels almost like um, like a cosmic shower. Like when I've entered that space, it's like something's being cleansed, but I'm getting I'm getting pushed back out again, and I want to be pushed back out again. Um, so I just feel like you pointed to that a little bit, and I really appreciate how you uh, framed it. Like it made it make more sense to me a little bit, actually. I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that. So this is another aspect of the same themes that we've been touching on, but in a different way. So one of the experiences that people report after death, and, and one that I recognize from my own sort of awakening experiences sometimes, is that when the, very often, and this has been happening throughout history, uh, you enter the, the communal dream, you enter the after death dimension, the soul dimension, and there's this light, and this light is the oneness, it's the formlessness. I and mean, there's a great phrase actually in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which can be translated that it is the it, it is the luminous potentiality, which is perfect for me. It's like, yeah, that's the luminous potentiality. Now, 
because spirituality is built on a philosophy of the fall, the whole thing is to get back to the luminous potentiality. So let go of Tim, let go of your individuality and dissolve back into the one, oneness like a drop into the ocean. That's all part of the problem is your individuality. That's your ego, that's your separateness, that's the enemy. What I'm suggesting is it's not the enemy at all, it's the whole point. The last thing you want to do, actually it's impossible, but you could, is to dissolve back into the formlessness. Because if you dissolve back into the formlessness, there's nothing. There's no consciousness. There's nothing. To be consciously one, we need to be in form. We need to be in duality, because consciousness is subject and object. So the whole point, actually, is to go into the light and stay conscious. That's the big love. That's the bliss. That's the, the knowledge, the knowing. But to stay conscious is to retain your individuality so that what we're doing is actually developing an individuality which is robust enough and deep enough to support these incredibly deep levels of, of consciousness so that we can go into the love light and, and be in it as a discrete cell, soul, within the, the, the um, communion of souls. So that the community, the, the light itself is actually, to use a metaphor which was actually given to me by somebody who, from their near-death experience, she described the light and, and souls moving into it and out of it like embers, like sparks, which is actually an old hermetic story as well. And, and what that's saying is the love light is all the sparks. That's what it is. It's the communion of souls. And you enter in and there's the communion. And as you enter in, you're part of that. And you make that exist. And then you fall away. Why? Because you need, the soul needs to keep evolving. Because that's what we're in. And to do that, we fall into other levels like this one. And we have this experience. Because through this experience, we are forming what we are. That's what we're doing. We're creating ourselves. Every moment, actually, we're creating what we are. And that's not a mistake. It's not a waste of time. Everything that you've ever experienced, all of us, matters because it all makes us what we are oh. that's beautiful it is beautiful isn't it it, it is. is beautiful and you, you know i mean i think i make this confession in the book but i'll make it to you because will i know knows this you, you may not but you know my whole the foundation for me which we haven't talked about is mystery is not knowing my you know, one of my previous books not very long ago is called the mystery experience because this is what we're in is a breathtaking mystery and and the the the, the waking up is of, is of, is of that mystery it's the formless it has no form it's, it's it's not what anything it's just is but we need the best story we can tell about the nature of life so what this philosophy has really been generated by is a desire to tell a coherent robust intellectually a story which can intellectually engage with science to justify and hold up some almost childlike intuitions <laughs> which emerge for me in the deep awake state. When I enter the deep awake state, there's these very simple, naive certainties. And I need to know how they can be right because I'm convinced they are for myself. So if I had to put it into simple words i'd say like really the thing i know which underlies this all these big ideas is that fundamentally life is good mm -hmm. death is safe mm -hmm. what really matters is love and 
this story, I hope, can hold that up and go, that sounds childlike, but actually it's the deepest statement of the most emergent truth. Mm. Beautifully put. The universe is friendly and ultimately there's nothing to fear. Yeah. I want to ensure that our viewers and listeners, well, well, our listeners, I guess they can hear this as well, are aware that Soul Story is uh, available now. If you've read all of Tim's 35 books and you can make the assessment as to whether it is the best that he's written, uh, certainly in my experience of the few that I've read, it's, it's an excellent book and I really appreciate the, the book and I appreciate your time to, to join us and we, we could explore this for hours and hours and still not touch the edges. So I um, really appreciate the, uh, the power and the precision of your, your words because it's allowed us to dive pretty deep in a, in a short period of time. It's been a real delight. I knew it would be. Yeah, Tim, it's always a joy to, always a joy to chat with you. Um, Cheyenne, is there anything that you want to close up with before I outro us around Love and Truth Party? Yeah, i like to ask one silly question too. Hey Tim, what's your favorite swear word? <laughs> <laughs> so this childlike playfulness is definitely something we want to see at the forefront of emergent <laughs> spirituality and humor. Fuck yeah. Marvel, humor, yeah. irreverence. Yeah, really. Absolutely Beautiful. Right. So, I mean, thank I just you. love it that, that I just love it that you know love and truth, which are these 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 deep, beautiful qualities, have finally turned into a party. I just think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched it so long. Now we can really enjoy them. This is very much <laughs> they, they the were stuck up their own ass for so long. Yeah, right, weren't we? <laughs> the Especially oh, truth. Truth was so truth took itself so seriously. Now it's, now it's getting down with love at the party. Uh -huh. I think we can really get things moving. <laughs> it's about fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I call emergent. Yeah, right. They <laughs> <laughs> profoundly put. <laughs> so, uh, a nice segue into uh, Love and Truth Party. I want to draw people's attention to these love letters, uh, these love letters from the universe, giving people the experience in an emergent moment of the friendliness of the universe. You can download them from our website, loveandtruthparty.org. You can soon uh, purchase them from the site as well, but for now they're there in 10 different languages, I think. And we encourage and invite you to go out onto the streets to give people love. And the experience many people report is it's fantastically beautiful and fun for themselves. We then invite people to pass it forward, to pay it forward and see what happens. Our intention is simple, is to distribute a million moments of love, of connection, ask it to be paid forward and, and see what happens. And we hope that this webinar today has been uh, useful and valuable in itself for you listening and watching. If you have enjoyed the production and would like to support the creation of more similar programming and feel resonance with the call to be of service to an emergent human culture, please join us. Um, you can download the love letters, sign up for our newsletter, like and follow on Facebook, of course, and uh, the happiness hacks are available on the site as well to make available uh, the basic principles of well-being and happiness and what it is to live a, a thriving life.
Uh, and thank you to all our supporters and contributors to the many people that have been involved in Love and Truth Party up until this point, and of course, the 13.8 billion years of history that ultimately has led to us being here today. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Cheyenne. Uh, greatly appreciating your presence and contributions today.